Jeff. That was beautiful, both of you. <sighs> Good morning. Uh, we're continuing this week our short detour away from the Gospel of Mark, because as I said last week, we want to actually get to, the, to Mark's account of the crucifixion and the resurrection uh, when we get there, and that'll be uh, sometime this summer. So, um, so we're, but, but since it is Resurrection Sunday today, I want to look at one of the other gospel accounts uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Uh, the resurrection, whether you know it or not, is one of the best attested facts of all of ancient history. Uh, since Jesus died at the start of one of the uh, high feast days of the Jewish calendar, there were likely more than one million people in Jerusalem at the time that Jesus was crucified. So it's likely that literally thousands of people watched Jesus die in at least some capacity, either as they were passing by along the road, in or out, or heard about it uh, as it happened. Uh, as, as Jesus was condemned, they were aware of this because Jesus had had his public ministry for three years prior to this point. And he was well known throughout the whole nation of Israel. And so the fact that Jesus was being crucified would have been news. And the entire nation virtually is assembled in the city of Jerusalem at this time that Jesus is crucified. And thousands would have either seen him or heard or known in some way that Jesus had been crucified. And... Since thousands watched him die, and including his closest followers, the fact that he was dead was not something that anyone could contest. And yet, within just a few days after his death, his closest followers are not only going around saying that he has been risen from the dead... But they're willing to offer their very lives in certification of that fact. Now, lots of people throughout history have died for things that they believed to be true, which weren't. But these were people who were in a position to know whether or not this was true. And nevertheless, they're willing to die in violent, painful ways for the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Jesus revealed himself to over 500 people at one time. In fact, we're going to see that occasion here this morning. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, I want you to, to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, and we'll pick up here in Matthew's account of the resurrection. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. Going down through verse 10 is where we'll start here. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. 
Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Uh, Look closely with me at the text. Jesus was crucified on Passover Friday and died just at the time of the evening sacrifice at the temple. For Jews, the Sabbath began at noon on on, on Friday, the night before the Sabbath. Their days went from sundown of one day to sundown of the next and so Jesus would have been crucified at, on Friday evening at the beginning of the Sabbath. He was dead, and they took him down from the cross. In fact, they were in a big hurry to get him down from the cross dead before the Sabbath would begin so that they would not defile the Sabbath, which is ironic beyond belief. Here they have just crucified the one whom the Sabbath was designed to honor, And yet they're concerned that they get him down so we not defile the Sabbath. Travel was restricted on the Sabbath. You were pretty much confined to your home if you were a religious, pious Jew. And you you would go and you would celebrate the Sabbath. And of course the Sabbath ends on Saturday night and it's dark. And so at the first available daylight opportunity, these women who are close followers of Jesus are there at the tomb. And they're there, according to the text, it says they went to look at the tomb. Were they there expecting to see a risen Messiah? No. Were they there thinking, well, I wonder what time the angel shows up to roll back the stone? No. (laughs) They were there expecting to see a dead man that they had followed and supported and given money to and provided for. These were the women who funded the ministry that Jesus and the apostles were on for those three years as they traveled about. And here I'm coming to mourn and weep at the tomb of the man I believe to be the Messiah. But obviously he wasn't because he wound up dead. And not just dead, but dead in a way that the, even the Old Testament law says was an ignominious, cursed way to die, hanging on a tree. And so they go and they look at the tomb. And they're going to honor Jesus. But they don't see what they expect to see. When they get there, and it's, it is just after dawn, the sun is just barely coming up. Beautiful sunrise this morning, I hope you saw it. But there was a beautiful sunrise And just as the sun is coming up, there's an earthquake. And then they see an angel. And this angel rolls back the stone, scares the soldiers who are guarding the tomb, slapped to death to the point that they faint right there. Boom! Okay? And, I mean, can you imagine? And, you know, I love this, what the angel says. This is the first thing that every angel in the New Testament says whenever they appear. Do not be afraid. (laughs) Okay. Apparently, when you see an angel come down out of heaven, this is a big deal. It overwhelms the systems a bit. 
And so the angel speaks and he says, do not be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus. This dazzling bright angel, I don't know how bright he is, but it says that he looked like lightning. And they're going, do not be afraid. For I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. In other words, hey, remember that? He told you he was going to die. And three days later, just like Jonah came out of the fish, so he is going to be raised from the dead. He's not here. He's risen. Come and see the place where he lay. In other words, look, come in and see the tomb. There's no body. You can see the grave clothes. You can see the place where he was laying, but there's no body. He's not there. We roll the stone back not because you're not going to be able to get in there otherwise, but because he wants you to see the tomb is empty. There's no body in there. He is going ahead to Galilee, and he's going to rejoin the disciples there. And these women are given the magnificent privilege of being the first people not only to know about Jesus, having risen from the dead, but being the first people to announce that he is risen. Now, you may not know this, but in, the, in, the, in this day, the testimony of a woman was not admissible in court. And yet, every single gospel writer records that it's women who are the first to see the resurrected Jesus. And I think, it's my personal opinion, that one of the reasons that we know that the writers of the Gospels did not make this stuff up is because if you were making it up in a culture in which the testimony of a woman is not admissible in court, you would make the first witnesses to the resurrection men. And yet every Gospel writer records what actually happened, which is that it's women who are the first to see him. You know why it's women who are the first to see him? Because they're the ones who are there. <laughs> okay, where are the guys? Off in Galilee. That's why Jesus is going there. <laughs> okay, the crucifixion happened. They're the ones who've been following Jesus. And, and all of a sudden, oh boy, this the Messiah thing did not turn out like I thought. Time to get elsewhere. Pew, and they're gone. They beat feet off to Galilee. Go back to fishing. We got to pretend like this never happened. This was all a bad dream. We don't want nothing to do with that. And they're off to Galilee. That's why Jesus is going to meet them there. And less than 72 hours after the crucifixion, can you imagine being one of these women? You've stood, these are some of the same women who stood and watched Jesus bleed out. Watched him suffocate to death on the cross, then be speared. And then taken down, bleeding and dead. These are the, some of the same women who very likely helped Joseph of Arimathea wrap the body and stick it in that tomb. And less than 72 hours later, Jesus is up and around in the flesh, triumphant, saying, Here I am, I'm going to Galilee. Can you imagine what these guys, what these ladies would think? Here stands Jesus. Not dead, but triumphant, victorious over death. Greetings, he says. And they fall at his feet, and they grab a hold of his feet, and they worship him. What would you do? Same thing. I'm guessing... 
Because all of these hopes that you had wrapped up into Jesus, guess what? They got smashed to bits on Friday. But on Sunday, all those hopes are renewed. Because on Sunday, here stands not a dead Messiah, but a living one. Who is the Son of God, just as he said that he was. Now, while they're heading off to go spread the word, guess what? About this time, the soldiers are waking up. Did you see that? Yeah. What was it? I don't know. I think it was an angel. Are you sure? Did you feel the earthquake? Yeah, I felt it. Okay, so I didn't dream that. No, that's what really happened. Okay, we got to go tell somebody. Because in chapter 27, we're, we're told that they sealed the tomb. They put the big rock in front of it. They sealed the tomb. And... And the religious leaders have told them, now we remember while he was alive that that deceiver said, I'm going to be raised from the dead. So let's post a guard for three days to make sure that his disciples don't come in and steal the body at night and announce that he's risen from the dead. And so why are these guards there? To protect against the disciples. Where are the disciples? Gone afraid hiding in a hole somewhere (laughs) but guess what happened the thing they didn't expect which is that jesus would actually rise from the dead actually happened and they go off to see the chief priests and the elders and you'll say and they say to them essentially you'll never guess what happened you know that guy that you killed that said he was going to rise from the dead well he did And in fact, there was an earthquake this morning, and then there was an angel, and whoa, we fainted. Now, understand that a Roman soldier, if they fell asleep on guard duty, the punishment for that was death, okay? So you did not tend to do that. But they go off to tell the truth. And by the way, where did Matthew get his information about what happened? I think, my personal theory is that one of these soldiers saw the resurrected Messiah, saw what happened, and went, you know, there's something to that claim about Jesus being who he said he was, the Son of God. And he told Matthew about it. This is what happened, guys. This is what we did. And when they get there, the chief priests and the elders say this. They say, well, what you're to say is that while we were asleep, okay, The disciples came and stole the body. How do you know that? You were asleep. (laughs) Right? But while I was asleep, I saw the disciples come and steal the body, and there was no resurrection. And Matthew says that that story is still circulated to this day. In fact, you can read some accounts of some supposed biblical scholars who will offer you that as the explanation for the resurrection. But here's what's interesting about their explanation, about their continuing rejection of, G- of the evidence that Jesus is Messiah. They didn't come up with this when the soldiers showed up. Go back to 27, chapter 27, okay? Uh, they've already decided here at the end that this is going to be the explanation. Post a guard because while he was alive, He said that he was going to rise from the dead. We know his disciples are going to come and try and steal the body. 
And so when the resurrection happens, what's the explanation that gets given? His disciples came and stole the body, just like we said. Now, that's not credible for a variety of reasons. You know, not the least of which is, how do you know what happened while you were asleep? Okay, but beyond that, the fact that these are trained Roman soldiers who wouldn't be asleep. And beyond that, the fact that they've come up with the explanation before the event. And yet, here's the thing. These guys, these chief priests and these elders, are just like a lot of people. They don't care what the facts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection are. They've already decided what they're going to believe. And sometimes I get into a conversation with people who are asking questions about Christianity and about, uh, about Jesus, and they, and they start asking me these kinds of questions. They ask me, Pastor, okay, I understand what you're saying, but what about all the people in Bongo Bongo, where they always name some far-off place that no one has ever been to, um, who, um, who have never heard about Jesus? What about those people? Or what about people who died before Christ? What about uh, infants? What about uh, retarded people? What about uh, the mentally handicapped? What about uh, babies who are aborted? What about all those? You know, do they go to hell? Do they go to heaven? What's the deal? Or they ask, how do you know the Bible is true? Or how do you know that uh, creation happened? And how do you know all this stuff? And I'll, there are good answers to those questions, and I'll sit and I'll spend time answering them. But as they keep asking, this is the, eventually the point where I come to. I say this, look, all of your questions are valid, and Christianity recognizes a valid place for questions. But let me tell you this. There's also this kind of a person, person who's for whom the questions are not the objective. The answers are not the reason they're asking. And they're asking simply because they want an excuse, an ongoing excuse for their lack of faith in Jesus Christ. And so what I ask is this. I say this. These are great questions, and they have good answers, and I'll be happy to give them to you if you answer me one question. If I answer all of your questions, will you believe in Jesus Christ? Because that's the issue. And that separates those who simply want a smokescreen over their lack of faith and lack of willingness to trust Christ and those who really have authentic, honest questions they need answers to before they can believe. And these chief priests and elders are in this category of people who do not care what the answer to the question is. They don't care what the evidence is. I mean, a bunch of guys come back and tell you, look, we saw an angel. There's no body in there. The grave clothes are all still there, but the the dude is not there. There was an earthquake. The angel spoke to us. We fainted. But the dude is not there. The tomb is empty. And they say, this is what you're to say. And let me give you some money to make sure that you remember the story. They don't care what the evidence is. They've already made up their mind. 
But the story goes on. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, verse 16. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The disciples have gone off to see Jesus in Galilee. He meets up with them on a specific mountain there where he had told them to go. And altogether, the four Gospels record 11 different post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. This is number 10, actually, uh, in in terms of the sequence. Because Matthew, uh, like a lot of the Gospel writers, telescopes gaps of time down to, okay, this is next. Uh, And he skips over a bunch of intervening events. This is probably the one that... Uh, Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 6, when it says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 of the disciples at one time. Uh, When he appears here, he is not appearing as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He is appearing as the conquering king. The one who was victorious over even death itself. And his disciples, for the most part, interestingly enough, are convinced of his identity, but there are still a few who doubt. Because Jesus' death was too real. And now they're seeing him, but they're st- even, in the, even then, some of them are going, oh, I don't know. It's just, I'm, I can't, I'm seeing it with my own eyes, but I, I'm having trouble believing it. And Jesus then speaks, and he commissions them for a lifetime of ministry. And it's a commission that carries on to all of the followers of Jesus since then. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I'm not just the suffering Messiah. I'm also the reigning Messiah, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. In other words, everywhere that there is authority to be had, I have it. He's reminding them that he is the one that he claimed to be, the I am who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. All authority has been given to me. He's the son of God who took on flesh, and he is reclaiming his rightful place as ruler and sovereign of the universe. He says, and because of who I am, I'm going to give you instruction. Go and do this. Go out into the world to all of the nations. It's not just the the countries. It's the ethne, the people groups all over the whole world. Wherever there are people, go and make disciples. Baptize and teach them everything I have commanded you. And he says, on top of that, that he will be with them. It says, I am with you always. Literally in Greek it reads, I am with you every day until the end of days, until the very end of the age. That Jesus is not just the risen Messiah. He's not just the reigning Messiah. He's also the present Messiah who is with us every day.
and to the very end of the age. This morning, we have uh, looked together just for a few minutes at the glorious fact of Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. His resurrection, more than anything else, proves that he is the one whom he claimed to be, the Messiah who was to come, the Son of God who took on flesh, born of woman, that he might take on the sins of all humanity and die in our place. And this text, in its, in its words, presents us with two possible options. You can do one of two things with Jesus, the risen Christ. And this is something that people did in Jesus' day and people still do today. Some people engage in what I would call willful rejection. They don't care about the facts of Jesus' resurrection. They don't care whether Jesus was and is the Son of God. They don't care that he died on the cross for uh, their sins. They don't care. They have decided already that they are going to reject Jesus Christ and his reign and rule and his love in their life. And they will not have him as Messiah. Just as the chief priests and the elders in Jesus' day did, these people are engaging in willful rejection. The other option is one that I, I would hope that everybody who is here this morning has taken. The other pathway is that of willing obedience. Willing obedience. That as you look at Jesus and you see that he fulfilled everything that the prophets had spoken, that as you look at Jesus and you realize that this is in fact God in the flesh, who died in your place, who even when you owed a penalty that only you should have to pay, God sent his son because he was the only one who, who could pay your debt. Only you should, only he could, and so only he did. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was raised from the dead. Which choice will you make? Willful rejection or willing obedience? Let's pray. God, our